Between Two Kingdoms is a searing and ultimately hopeful memoir of Suleika Juwad's leukemia diagnosis, treatment, and recovery, and the challenges of returning to a, quote, normal life after losing almost everything in the process. Hello and welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite book. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and my guest today is Brina Patel, a freelance writer from Sacramento, California. Brina and I talked about how strange it is to love a deeply sad book and how we both feel a personal stake in this author's life based on the words she wrote. It's a tough and beautiful read, and I have a feeling that a lot of you might agree with Brina that Between Two Kingdoms is the best book ever. Hi, Brina. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Thanks, Julie. Will you tell my listeners about your writing life and what kind of writer you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. So I am a freelance content writer, journalist, and I actually just am getting into copywriting as well. I do a little bit of everything in terms of writing for more business type of writing, like blogs, but then also doing more mainstream media and more like journalistic reporting type of pieces as well. Did you study journalism in college? I did not. I actually was a psych major and I was looking to go into education, getting my teaching credential and all of that. And I just went through some personal changes and realized that I wanted to do something that was more aligned with my passion, which had always been like writing and just being more creative. When you write freelance nonfiction pieces, do you do you get to choose the topics that you research? Do you get to follow your interests or are you assigned things to write about? It really depends. Honestly, there are clients that I work with who are very much on an assignment basis where they have specific things that they want covered. And then I just do all the research and writing part. But then there are other instances where I do have the freedom to kind of pitch my own stories and um, bring up topics or stories that I think would be interesting and kind of run it by the editors and get the green light um, if they think it's worth covering. So a bit of both. What types of things are your favorites to write about? I really like writing about different mental health topics and kind of having professionals break them down and talking about how we can use them in our own lives. Like, for example, I've done pieces on compassion fatigue. I'm doing one on like friendship breakups right now. I also like covering like beauty brands, skincare brands, and then just entrepreneurship as a whole, I find very interesting as well. It is so fascinating to me that now mental health articles and books are so much a part of our daily conversation in every aspect of our life. How do you decorate your house so that it serves your mental health better? How do you dress Mm -hmm. properly so that you're not stressed out by your clothes and it's not messing with your mental health? Lately, it feels like we connect everything back to our mental health. And I think it's so exciting. And you coming from a psych background, it must be really exciting for you as well. Yeah, it really is. I'm I'm glad that the younger generations are able to grow up in a society that normalizes a lot of these conversations because, you know, it is something we all deal with, whatever our unique challenges are, and to be able to like 
openly talk about them and not feel ashamed, you know, for having feelings or certain experiences, I think is really helps us connect to each other better too. Mm. Do you ever see yourself writing fiction? You know, I've kind of tried my hand at fiction, like just in terms of short stories. And I love, I love reading fiction. I just, I don't know if there's something more within me that I need to kind of work on or just do a bit more, um, I don't know, practicing, I guess, is just what I need to do. But I've considered it and I've I've had it in the back of my mind of like writing some more short stories. I guess I just haven't gotten over that inner block yet of like, okay, you know, just just do it and, you know, <laughs> see what, what comes of it. Tell me how you became a reader. Were you always a reader since you were a kid? Oh, yeah, definitely. I still remember when I was younger. I'm sure a lot of people have had similar experiences where, you know, before bedtime, my mom would, you know, read me a story and we'd always read it together. She would read it before I was, you know, able to read. And it was just this really exciting part of the day for me. And I would still remember just like loving that part of the day because it was just getting to be like with me and her and we'd kind of go into this imaginary world together and like escape everything else. And so she definitely instilled the love of reading in me from an early age. And it was always something that I I found very, um, it was just like a nice escape. And I think growing up more introverted and like shy, it was kind of a nice way to, I guess, find another world that I felt a little bit more comfortable in. How did that transition as you grew up and began to read on your own? Were you an avid reader? Did you, or was it something you put away for a while? Yeah, I would definitely say like middle school, high school, and college, the only books that I read were like, you know, assignment-based ones that we had to read and write about or, you know, have quizzes about. So I think in that part of my life, I was kind of turned away from reading because I was more of an obligation versus just reading something for its own enjoyment. But after college, I would say that's when I really started diving deep into it again. I cannot tell you how often I've heard that, when that the rigors of schoolwork has killed the reading urge in in so many students. And gosh, it is so discouraging to me. And I don't know how we change that in our mm-hmm. education system, but I hear it over and over again on this podcast of people yeah. saying they just are burnt out. They're so exhausted. They cannot bring their eyes to a page again after they've spent the last eight hours mm. reading for a class or whatever. And yeah. gosh, it makes me sad because you got to think a lot of people probably never go back to it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer there is. Yeah. Right. So when you came back to it, where where did you go genre wise? Yeah, I think that's when I really started getting more into like nonfiction. And I think I started out first with more just like, you know, basic nonfiction, like how-to books or something that dove really deep into like something more practical. But then I started reading memoirs, you know, about a couple of years ago. And then I was like, wow, you know, these are just really fascinating because it's somebody's real life, but it reads like fiction. But there's just so much in there that it's like, you know, it's kind of like the how-to, but it's also not because they're they're teaching you how to, you know, deal with something or how they went through something. 
So it's more of this kind of thing that you have to like reflect on it where like the lesson isn't as apparent, which I liked because it was just, you kind of have more time to like reflect on it after. And there's just a lot more I feel like I got out of, you know, reading memoirs. So when you go to memoir, is there a certain type? Is there a certain flavor of memoir that you prefer? Yeah, I guess, I mean, celebrity memoirs, I have read a few good ones. Um, I will say maybe just more so of like an illness or some really big hardship that somebody's had to go through and just kind of seeing, you know, their little way of overcoming it or how they kind of found, you know, a way to deal with whatever that hardship is. So I guess, yeah, I don't know how to exactly pinpoint that into a (laughs) subcategory, but yeah, something that's surrounding like a big hardship or like a major life challenge, I would say. My friends, I know you've just barely settled into your pumpkin spice latte season, and now I have the audacity to point out that the holidays are coming upon us fast. I'm hard at work on my third annual Kids in YA gift-giving episode, where I interview a bunch of young people about books, and I would love to talk to your favorite young reader. This is my most popular episode every year, and my favorite to record, because kids are my favorite people. If you know a young person, ages 5 to 20, who would like to tell me about a book, I would love to talk to them. Check the show notes or go to my website, bestbookeverpodcast.com, and click on the button that says, Be a guest on the third annual Kids YA Gift-Giving Guide. I can't wait to hear from you. Now, back to the show. Do you remember how you found this book that we're talking about today, Between Two Kingdoms? Yeah, so I actually... I made my Instagram account that I have now. Originally, it was like a bookstagram account before I made it more towards just sharing like writing and my own kind of thoughts. Um, So I reconnected with a friend from college and we just started talking one day about books. And she had just read this book, Between Two Kingdoms. And she was like, You have to read it. It's amazing. And she gave me like the synopsis of it. So yeah, that's how I found out about it. And it just has stuck with me ever since. Will you tell our listeners the summary of this book? Yeah, of course. So Between Two Kingdoms is a memoir by Suleika Jawad. And she essentially has just graduated Princeton. And she moved to Paris, is really excited to start living you know, an independent life, wants to be a war correspondent. And for the past several months, she's been dealing with these really mysterious symptoms like rashes, itching, just a lot of fatigue. And she kind of just chalks it off as, you know, just lack of sleep, too much partying, whatever. So she also meets this guy before she goes to Paris and he moves out there with her and they start, you know, living this really cute life together. And um, her symptoms still continue to worsen though. and eventually she goes and gets checked out the first few times they tell her, you know, nothing's wrong. And then it just gets to the point where she gets so bad that the doctors in France tell her to go back to the U S and so she does, she gets on the first flight back to New York where she's from. And then from there, that's kind of when her cancer story starts is she just gets this diagnosis of acute myeloid leukemia with like a very slim prognosis of surviving. And so for the next 
four years of her life, she's, you know, doing the chemotherapy, going through clinical trials, and then she gets a bone marrow transplant from her brother donating his bone marrow to her. And so it's just chronicles that journey, but then alongside her cancer, she's also dealing with so many, you know, the emotional stuff, the, the relationship with Will, the guy who had gone to Paris with her, he's, you know, pretty much one of her full-time caretakers. And so that relationship goes through its own, you know, challenges from that. But at the same time, Suleika also meets this really supportive community and she becomes a columnist for the New York Times, writing her own little segment on, you know, what it's like to be a young person with cancer. And so she connects with fellow cancer patients and just other people around the U.S., you know, who reach out to her, write her letters. And so once she is in remission, she finds that she's in this weird limbo place of like not really feeling cured. Or she feels she's cured, but she doesn't feel like she's healed yet. Like she still feels like she needs to fully heal. And so she decides to go on a 100-day trip around the U.S. And the significance of the 100 days is that's how long she had to wait after her bone marrow transplant before she got the clear from her um, care team that she was, you know, things were good. There were no complications. So she does another 100 days where she rents a van. She adopts this little dog and they drive around the whole U.S. And she just meets with a bunch of people that she connected with, you know, during her time as a cancer patient through the letters that they wrote to her from seeing her column in the New York Times. And she just learns a lot of really meaningful things from each of them. And so, yeah, so we see her go on this journey. And at the same time, she's also starting this new relationship with John Batiste, who is her now husband. And so, yeah, it's just a really beautiful memoir about like finding that place in between feeling sick and feeling well and kind of learning to accept that like middle ground that like most of us will be in and out of. Did you know who she was or how it was going to wind up as you were reading it the first time? I didn't know who she was, but I did like, you know, do the Googling and I found one of the TED Talks that she did. Um, and so I was like, okay, so she, I knew what the outcome was of the story. Um, but as I was reading, I just, yeah, I didn't really know what, how the depth of what she went through. Like, I, I was like, okay, she probably went through chemo and all of that, but it was just the like length of how long it took mm-hmm. and just, the extent to which her body, like what her body went through with that was like, I had no idea. Isn't it weird to love something that is so deeply sad and it ends, this is not a spoiler alert because everyone can look it up, but this trial that she went through and this community that she formed and the people that she lost along the way, it is just such a deeply sad book and it's weird to love a piece of art so much that is so painful yeah that's a really good point and I I almost feel like it's because 
it kind of forces you to like think about what's really important in life. I think in the day to day, it's so easy to get fixated on like trivial things. And it almost takes reading something like this really, really sad to be like, well, you know, why am I freaking out about this thing that has <laughs> like zero significance yes. on like my life whatsoever? You know, like when I should really be telling these people that I love, that I love them, or just like making the most of, you know, this time that I have with this person. Because as we see in her story, like, you know, things can just change really fast. I feel like sometimes that's what it really takes um, to just focus in on like what matters in our own lives. Do you have a particular story in there or was there a particular anecdote that resonated with you? So she says, as we live longer and longer, the vast majority of us will travel back and forth across these realms spending much of our lives somewhere in between. These are the terms of our existence, the idea of striving for some beautiful, perfect state of wellness. It mires in us eternal dissatisfaction, a goal forever out of reach. Mm. And so I was like, wow, you know, that's really true. Like, I think we can get so fixated on like having, you know, perfect bodies or just reaching this, you know, place of feeling our best, looking our best, and just being able to accept, like, life is going to be really messy. Life is going to have a lot of curveballs. So just being able to, like, come at them from a place that's like, okay, you know, this is just what being a human entails. It's not something to run away from. Yeah, but I mean, that in itself is the fundamental unfairness of this disease on her, right? Because she's still, when she's diagnosed, she's still at that age where, you know, in your young 20s and mid 20s, you're not thinking about that kind of shit. You're just like, mm. you're healthy, you're gorgeous. You hurt yourself at the gym and the next day you're fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. nothing lingers. Yeah. And then she's at this phase where everything is terrifying and scary and, Mm -hmm. Just walking to the taxi cab to take her to her chemo is fraught with danger. She could fall. Mm -hmm. She could catch a germ. She could all of these things. And it's it's this interruption of the natural order of things where mm -hmm. that's what I kept thinking is she didn't get the chance to have those carefree, healthy, young, young adult years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that that is really true. She was able to really talk about a lot of these things, even with like her relationship, just the way she's able to handle these feelings and like really talk about them. I think most people at that age, if they were to like go through something like this, it's just, I feel like it's something that would just be so hard to come back and talk about and especially in such a like public way. So I really... I think that's what I liked about this book so much was that she was just able to talk about it and like kind of express those moments where she's like, you know, this is against the way things are supposed to be, but also kind of find these like deeper mm -hmm. threads of like, you know, truth throughout it as well. The story of Will, her boyfriend, well, obviously, because you already mm -hmm. said she's married to someone else. So that 
it's not a spoiler to say that it doesn't work out, but that relationship was so fascinating to me. I mean, mm-hmm. being newly together and and right at the exciting part. Again, just like yeah. right at the healthy part of your life and right at the exciting part, you're, you know, imagine living in a crappy apartment in Paris. And I know. Yeah. You would just feel like you have got the world at your feet. Mm-hmm. And then this happens. She gets this diagnosis and he just goes, okay, this is what we're doing now. I mean, I really want, I would love to get his book too. And did he have one second of, forget it. I live in Paris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be really interesting to hear kind of his side of things too. And just also being at his age and being able to like take that on, like that's such a huge task. And like, you know, nobody prepares you for that anyways, but also just being, I think he was like 27 or something mm-hmm. when this happened. And it's like, I don't think like most people would have the maturity for that, especially like in a brand new relationship where you're yeah. expecting like, you know, to build like this stale, stable life together. And, this, you know, you have this plan through the tedium of it. And I think that's the thing that anyone who's been a caregiver knows that it's overall, we, we make it very heroic when we talk about it. But the fact of the matter is most of it's just tedious. It's just Mm. cleaning up barf over Mm. and over and over again. And he just did it. And I just kind of fell in love with every single person in this book. They just all tried so hard to just be the right person for her. And I thought Mm. all of it was so heroic and wonderful. Even when they screwed up, I thought she did a great job of letting us see how human they were. And they were trying Mm. so hard to be superheroes for her and they are just people and this is a terrible situation mm-hmm. and she did such an amazing job of just letting us love them with her i i loved it so much yeah yeah same i think she really does portray like she doesn't sugarcoat anything or try to make anyone look like you know this angelic person she was like mm-hmm. you know they did this and it was amazing but you know there are also moments where I was kind of pissed off at them and mm-hmm. because they did that. So, you know, it's like we really got to see the whole spectrum of like the situation as much as she allowed us in. Do you follow her writing? I believe this is her only book, but I when I was checking out her website before we talked, she does articles and blog posts and newsletters and things like that. Do you follow any of that from her? Yeah, so I actually am on her newsletter list for the Isolation Journal. So it was this project that she started at the beginning of the pandemic where she would send out journal prompts. And she does it every week now still, but she'll have a different writer kind of come on to the newsletter and offer a really thoughtful journal prompt. And then Suleika will also kind of give us an update on her own life. And it's just like a nice kind of Sunday morning reflection thing. I highly recommend it. Um, Mm. So you said she had relapsed. Mm -hmm. Is she okay now? Is she healthy now? So I know she is still undergoing treatment. So she's the last newsletter, I believe she said she was going through chemotherapy um, and so she's been kind of navigating that again, doing another bone marrow transplant. So, oh my god, yeah, yeah, it's been hard to kind of see 
everything kind of her going through that again. Yeah. I had no idea how, what a process that was because she details the first bone marrow transplant in her book. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I ever really knew what happened with that. I mean, I know what a marrow is, but I had never stopped to think about how we extract it and how we put it in another person. And the recovery from that was terrible. Yeah. This is the thing about a memoir, right? One as brutally honest as what she wrote is Mm. we're now very invested. And you telling me this, that she has relapsed, it does feel very personal. I've never heard of this woman Mm -hmm. until you told me to read this book. And that's the power of this memoir is... I I now feel very invested in her life and I want it to be, I don't just want her healthy. Like I want her to win the lottery. I want her to win a Nobel prize for literature. You know, like I, yeah. I want the rest of her life not to be, she probably just wants ordinary. And mm-hmm. I admire just like, let's give her everything. Let's make her queen. And I'll tell you what else that dog better live forever. Will you make a pack with me? That if you ever hear of her dog dies, do not tell me, okay? Please. <laughs> okay. I can I can make that pact. <laughs> I don't think I could handle it. Like that dog, Oscar, feels very important. Yeah, he's a special little guy. I mean, I think that's just like she really took us on this journey with us. I really feel like I I like want to genuinely know like how she's doing now. Cause after all of that, it's like, well, you know, I, I can't just be left on like a cliffhanger when you were reading that quote to me you picked up a notebook do you frequently take notes from the books that you read i would say not like frequently i kind of go off and on i do have like a little journal that i'll sometimes write like quotes or interesting words in but it's not like a it's not as frequent of a habit as i would like it to be but yeah what about you i write in books and then um, if it's a library book, I will take a note and I'll put it in my daily planner, but then I don't often look at them again. And I mm. want to come, I I like that idea of like when you picked up a notebook, I like the idea of just having a notebook of book quotes. I don't know why I don't do that. Do you have anything else in your notebook that you want to talk about from this book? There was another quote that I wrote down that I really liked and She says, healing is figuring out how to coexist with the pain that will always live inside of you without pretending it isn't there or allowing it to hijack your day. And I I liked how she said that because I think we kind of think of healing as this thing where you're, you know, okay, I'm totally free of whatever like physical or emotional challenge that I was dealing with, but knowing that it can have a meaning where it's still present, but you know, mm-hmm. you've gotten to the point where you're acknowledging, but not like pretending it's, you know, you're just, you're not trying to push it away or allowing it to kind of take over everything, even though that is difficult sometimes. So tell me, what are you reading right now? Yeah. So I actually just finished a book called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Um, that talks all about how to kind of use our devices and technology 
for us and kind of not let them control us, which I thought was really interesting. Is that something that you struggle with? Like, did you read it hoping to solve a problem? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I've been a lot more aware of just how much social media and just kind of like email is such a pull for me. And I've had to really change the way that I use those apps and kind of have more boundaries around those because I did find that they were definitely having that control on me where I felt like I was not being as productive Mm -hmm. um, as I would have liked to be. So definitely recommend it if you also have similar struggles. I don't know anybody who's not fighting that battle. What are his recommendations? Yeah. So he starts off kind of talking about how he thinks that kind of doing a 30-day detox from a lot of these apps can really help us get away from them and then have kind of this clear space from where we can observe how they are affecting us and then kind of go back to the ones like he's not saying to totally cut off but he's just saying to like develop better habits when we do go back to them so you know instead of having instagram facebook all of that on your phone only having it on your browser on your computer mm-hmm. and then having like set days or set time frames throughout the day that you check so yeah yeah it's pretty liberating and um i think being able to like take back that control especially when he talks about you know how these engineers put like so much time and money into making these apps purposefully addictive and like Mm. keeping us on them for as long as possible so it's like you know we're just we're just kind of furthering their mission at the cost of like our own peace of mind yeah and they're doing a great job of it because boy does it work and then i'm also almost done with a memoir, another memoir called Solito by Javier Zamora. And it's his story of crossing from El Salvador to the U.S. as a kid and kind of his journey, you know, with all of that. So it's, yeah, it's a really good story. He's, he's an amazing writer as well. He's now in the States. Yeah. He's in the Mm -hmm. States. I think he's in Arizona now. Yeah. Well, Brina, this has been lovely talking to you, even though the book broke my heart. But it is, I still, I and I do have to say this again. It, I, I would recommend this book, even though it is, it's a tough read. Yeah, but it's it's just gorgeous, and so I just want to thank you for introducing me to her and to this story. And will you? share with our listeners where they can find you and your work? I am on Instagram at Brina Patel Writer. And then I also have a website, BrinaPatelWriter.com. And that's kind of where I share a lot of my own blogs, written work that I've done. And then I have a little newsletter on there as well, where I just like to share little updates and um, examples of storytelling that I find impactful as well. Thank you so much for talking to me today. And I hope you will come back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about. I'll I'll steal my soul and I'll have more Kleenex handy for the next book you choose. I promise I'll choose something that is not as uh, not as heavy. No, no, um, you choose what you want. <laughs> I think I guess this out of all the books that I have read, this one probably is like up there in terms of like the emotional impact. But um 
yeah I, I'm glad that we got to, to talk about this and it was really nice chatting with you as well that was a tough read my friends but I loved it it is a book that's going to stick with me for a long long time I would love to hear if you've read it and what your thoughts are let me know over on Instagram at best book ever podcast Links to everything we discussed are in the show notes or at my website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend and don't forget to rate it on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.